0: Sunday, 2023, why you should want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet? Okay. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I hope you've been praying about it so that you might receive it this day because we're going to have a time of unified prayer at the conclusion of this uh, service, and allow people that have not received to come forward to receive it. Hallelujah. Okay. Scripture reading for today, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, this is all the disciples, there was 120 of them in number at the time. The 120 were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were seating, uh, sitting. and Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. Verse 5. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, that is the sound of the disciples speaking in other tongues... The multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then it uh, goes on in Acts chapter uh, uh, the, the, uh, 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 uh Chapter 2, I think it's verses 7 and 8. It delineates all these different nations that heard them speaking in other tongues. So they were speaking in their languages and the people heard it and they heard the disciples in their native language uh, praising, praising God. Kind of got their attention. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you And we praise and thank you for Pentecost Sunday, that very first Pentecost Sunday, Lord, uh, which signified the birth of your church here. And Lord, this experience is for today too. Lord, we don't believe like many of these mainline denominations, Lord, as a whole, that it was just for the days of the apostles, Lord, but it is for us today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would visit us Visit this service, Lord, in power. And as we, uh, at the conclusion of this service, Lord, when we call people to come forward, Lord, that have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking other tongues, I pray that you would uh, sweep through this uh, congregation, Lord, and baptize us even as you baptized the, those early disciples. Thank you for being with us in power, and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so today is Pentecost Sunday. It's on the 50th day after Easter, if you wonder about the timing of it. So you take Easter and count 50 days after Easter, that's Pentecost Sunday. The first Pentecost Sunday. Uh, occurred on the day of the Feast of Weeks, also called the Feast of Pentecost, the four, which is the fourth feast on the Jewish calendar. The significance of the day of Pentecost cannot be minimized. It is the, regarded as the uh, day that the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ officially began. Jesus was fulfilling his prediction in found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where he told his disciples, upon this rock, now this rock is not the Apostle Peter, even though Peter had just given given his uh, great confession, it wasn't upon Peter personally, as the Catholics believe, the Roman Catholics believe, but instead... It was Peter's confession. That is, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what it's talking about. Upon this rock, this confession that you have given Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not prevail against us. Against us, brothers and sisters, as the church... The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Amen. Now that doesn't mean that the uh, gates of hell are trying to overrun us. They've already overrun this world, you know, and placed it un- under its uh, uh, Satan's bondage. And that's why we assail it now through the name of Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. We come against it. And there's not a single stronghold that the devil has built up that can withstand us when we stand in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is all about. It's about the power of God. Hallelujah. On that day of Pentecost... The Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, again fulfilling Jesus' prediction that it would happen. Okay, Jesus' prediction of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Behold I, that is Jesus, this is just before Jesus' ascension into uh, heaven. Uh, As I was explaining to Lane and Marlena, they came over to my house, uh, to the parsonage there. It's not my house, it belongs to the church, hallelujah. But anyway, they came over to the parsonage and I spent a couple of hours with them this past Tuesday uh, going through these scriptures. So Jesus predicted this and then he repeated it. You know, the uh, uh, book of Acts acts like a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. But in the Gospel of Luke, it says, Behold I, that is Jesus, send the promise of of my Father upon you, that is the disciples. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. We're going to see this in a minute. The primary purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power. Okay? Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and uh, verse 8. Remember, the book of Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote both of them. The first one was detailing Jesus' birth and His his teachings. And then the book of Acts is a, uh, uh, a history of the early Christian church. So it's a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus said in Acts chapter four, uh, 1, starting at verse 4, And being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father was this baptism of the Holy Spirit, Amen. which, He said, you have... Heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we're going to see that that not many days was a total of 10 days. Verse 8, okay, this is the key. And I would suggest that you memorize this verse. Memorize Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Or the ends of the uh, earth, as it says in uh, the the other versions. King James Version reads uh, uttermost parts of the earth. That's how I memorized it. Okay, now here. This is important here. Upon as opposed to within. All Christians, how many is a Christian here? If you are a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. But just because you have received the Holy Spirit and He is dwelling within you, doesn't mean that He is upon you upon you specifically in power. We see this with the early disciples. Okay? That great Easter, Sunday. That evening, Jesus came into the upper room there. He appeared to them. And one of the things, among others, that He did was it says in John chapter 20, verse 22, He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they had received the Holy Spirit at the, from that moment on. He was dwelling within them, but He had not come upon them to dwell with them in power. That would not happen for another 50 days until the day of Pentecost. Everybody that is a Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, it says in Romans chapter eight, verse 9, "But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you." Greek preposition there for in is n-E-N in you." Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, He is not His. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. But He is dwelling within you. But if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, He has not come upon you to dwell with you in power. The Holy Spirit dwelling in, in you is not the same as the Holy Spirit coming upon Greek preposition there is epi, upon you in power. As we just read, you will receive after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, epi. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Holy Spirit coming upon you is also known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it falling. You know, there's other terms that they that they used here. Uh, falling on them. You know, it says that in uh, uh, with Cornelius and his household. Uh, it also says. Uh, that they were clothed, uh, that endued, that means clothed with power from on high. As we just read in Acts chapter, I mean, not Acts, uh, Luke chapter 29, uh, uh, 24 verse uh, 49. Also talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out. Also called the latter rain movement. So we saw two symbols of the Holy Spirit. The rushing mighty wind in Acts chapter 2. And also the Holy Spirit coming upon them as cloven tongues of fire. You know, we're going to sing at the end. We're going to sing a song where it combines all three of these. So that's two right there. Wind and fire. And also during his sermon that Peter preached there in Acts chapter 2. He quotes the prophet Joel, which said in the latter days... And these are the latter days. This is why it's just been since the beginning of the 20th century. The modern day Pentecostal and charismatic uh, uh, movements. You know, it has come in the latter days. In the last days, the latter days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So that's what God wants to do. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, He wants to pour out His Spirit upon you. It also talks about there, that was a quote from the prophet Joel. And Joel also talks about the early and the latter rain. The early rain was what happened to the disciples there in that first century. And the latter rain is what's come upon Mankind since the beginning of the uh, 20th century. Okay, so we're going to... That song is going to talk about the wind. It's going to talk about the rain. And it's going to talk about the fire. The fire of God. Hallelujah. You also should want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit... In order to operate in the nine gifts of the Spirit. Now, a quick history lesson. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the disciples on the day of Pentecost. But this was not just for the first century Christians, unlike what many people believe. Uh, There's been numerous outpourings on believers throughout church history. And I don't have time to go into all of those, uh, but uh, again, it was uh, He, uh, the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I say He because the Holy Spirit is a person. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is a person? Yes. Okay. It's not just an impersonal force. The Jehovah's Witnesses liken Him to God's radar beam. Well, a radar beam. Uh, You can't lie to. You know, there's places in Scripture that talk about lying to the Holy Spirit. You know, it talks about grieving. You can't grieve a radar beam, an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's a he, it's not an it. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, he is a person. Okay, so uh, Charles Parham and the Apostolic Faith Movement... They rejected the teachings of other Protestant movements that denied the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they began to seek the second blessing. Not only the first blessing where you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment you are born again, but a second blessing where He would be poured out upon them in power. And it happened starting on January 1st 1901. What's significant about January 1st, 1901? You know what that was? That was the very first day of the 20th century. So starting, I think it's very significant, starting with the very first day of the 20th century, people began to get this second blessing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit with the spirit of, uh, with the speaking of tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So one of his students, a female student, received this baptism of the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Now a few years later with the Azusa Street in uh, Los Angeles, the Azusa Street Revival in 1906 that gave birth to the modern-day Pentecostal movement. The Assemblies of God was formed in the year 1914 as a result of that Azusa Street Revival. And finally, still later, you have the modern-day charismatic movement. It began around the year uh, 1960, and it began to happen in mainline Protestant churches and even the Roman Catholic Church itself. And that's a symbol to me that even though, you know, people may be Roman Catholics, some of them are saved nonetheless. I think that they are saved not because of the Roman Catholic Church, but almost in spite of it, with all of the dogmas and doctrines that are anti-biblical that have crept into the church. Now this modern day Pentecostal or charismatic movement was rejected by and large by the most of the people in these mainline churches. And I can give a testimony to that too. I got uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit way back in in uh, November, of about sometime in November of 1975, I didn't make a note of it, and I spoke with tongues, and I came in to, uh, you know, I belonged to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at uh, San Diego State University, where I was attending at the time, and I just boldly declared, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit last night. Well, that, uh, that as the saying done goes, that went over like the proverbial lead balloon. And <laughs> see, see, I was ignorant at the time. You know, I'd been only really earnestly seeking the Lord. And, you know, for uh, uh, less than a full year at that point. And I didn't know about all these, you know, politics that had crept into the church. And all I knew is that I read about that experience right here in the book of Acts. And, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the gift of the prayer tongue in 1 Corinthians 14. That we're we're going to go through that a little bit later on. And I didn't know that uh, people didn't believe that that experience was uh, not for the day. Also, you know, during my first year of Bible college, I went to a charismatic uh, Bible college, Melody Land School of Theology. And uh, my second year of Bible college, I roomed with a man, young man by the name of Well Chill. And Welch had received that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he was engaged to uh, a woman at the time. And, uh, you know, she just thought, oh, this is terrible. You get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she outright told him, you need to reject this thing, or, you know, I'm going to break off our engagement. So she was giving Welch the uh, ultimatum either me or the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what, uh, get, get, what Welch chose? You know, he chose the Holy Spirit over her, her you know, I guess she was kind of like Job's wife, you know. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, there's another thing, too, is, you know, uh, while I was attending uh, San Diego State at that time, I came in contact with people from the Campus Crusade for Christ. And one of them, you know, uh, uh, I made an agreement for him to disciple me. Well, the very first day that we were, you know, kind of meet together and everything, uh, you know, he found out that I was a Pentecostal and I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he took upon himself to school me to reject this, even though I'd already had the experience kind of like this one guy i heard that uh, you know he was praying one day and he started speaking in tongues just out of the clear blue sky he didn't even know anything about it he just started doing it then he found out later he wasn't supposed to have it you know, hallelujah <laughs> so anyway uh uh he he uh, he was doing his level best to convince me to reject this teaching and i, I kept on saying to him you know let us move on from the subject he's no, no I know we've we got to do it now we, we're going to come back to this you know so I want to get it taken care of now well you know i didn't meet with him too much after that but uh uh you see the the founder of uh uh Campus Crusade for Christ was a a man by the name of Bill Bright. How many of you have heard of Bill Bright before? Well, Bill Bright... Uh, they had a retreat area up in Lake Arrowhead, which was only about maybe uh, 40 or 50 miles from uh, uh, where I was going to Bible study. And uh, the people there at Melody Land Christian Center, from which the Bible college that I attended to, you know, sprang out of, they invited Bill Bright to come. And he kind of put him off. No, 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 no. And finally he said, okay. And he came and he saw... The people there at Melody Land praising and worshiping the Lord. And it really melted his heart. Wow. And the uh, you know, week after that, he went back and called a meeting of his stamp, staff. And he says, I don't want any more of these, this talk about uh, speaking of, in tongues being of the devil. Which is what some of them are, are so extreme, they think it's uh, of the devil. It's not though. It's the Holy Spirit of God, not the unholy spirit. Amen? Okay. Moving along here. Why you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I should, everybody say that. I should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Why you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Number one. Jesus Christ. Wants you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That should be reason enough. Amen? Amen. That should be reason enough that Jesus wants you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Remember Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Behold, I, that is Jesus, send the promise of my Father. Here's another, there's another word, terminology. It's the promise of the Father. of my Father upon you, that is the the disciples, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, literally clothed with uh, power from on high. And this is not just for the disciples of those days, you know, or just the the disciples that Jesus was was speaking to. Again, this is just before he ascended up into heaven because it was experienced by others throughout the book of Acts. There's not just one baptism of the Holy Spirit that's recorded in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, but you see it multiple times elsewhere in the book of Acts. If you don't believe me, read through the book of Acts. A second reason that you should want it is because the first disciples also wanted the Holy Spirit. Baptism that Jesus promised them. Now, those initial 120 waited 10 days for it. You know, Jesus said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. How many days was it? Well, it was exactly 10 days. How do we know it was 10 days? Well, we know it because it says also in the first chapter of Acts that Jesus appeared to his disciples... A number of times over a 40 day period before he ascended to heaven. Okay? But the Holy Spirit baptism took place on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days. So, consequently, by advanced calculus, you know, 50 minus 40, you know that it was 10 days afterward. So, that was not many days hence, just as Jesus had told them, 10 days afterward. Now, what were they doing during those 10 days? It says that they were all in accord with one accord in the upper room. So they were there in the upper room. What were they doing? I believe that they were really praying and seeking God. And they were probably fasting too. If you have not received the Holy Spirit, praying and fasting is the way to lay the foundation for you to receive it. So therefore the 120 disciples stayed in the upper room probably fasting for what God was going to do for them when he was going to pour out this holy spirit upon them. The third reason why you should be baptized in the holy spirit and that is to gain spiritual power for Christian service. This is in fact this is the primary Purpose for the Holy Spirit baptism, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. It's not for you just get to get some kind of uh, spiritual high or ecstatic experience, or even get the gift of tongues. We're going to talk about the importance of the gift of tongues in a little while, but it's to receive power. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you get all nervous and tongue-tied and trying to witness to other people, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you will receive that power. Amen. Hallelujah. Again, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So the result of this baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be endued, which means literally clothed or covered with power from on high. Then this was immediate after the Holy Spirit fell. There's another terminology. He fell on the disciples. Okay? And the change was immediate. And no better example of that was the Apostle Peter. You know, 52 uh, uh, days earlier, what happened? Peter was a sniveling coward who denied his Lord three times. And then after the Lord uh, restored him to fellowship, you read about that in uh, John chapter 21, Peter became The leader of the early church. And when in the immediate aftermath of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, being poured out on them, he spoke the word with boldness and he delivered the uh, church's first sermon. They gathered a crowd because everybody, you know, they heard, you know, the disciples spilling out onto the street and uh, speaking in tongues, speaking their own languages. And they said, what does this mean? And so Peter got up there and boldly preached the very first sermon. And it says that some 3,000 people got saved. Peter was no longer that sniveling coward because he received power after the Holy Ghost had come upon him. Amen. Hallelujah. If you want power for witnessing, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay. So Peter preached that sermon. 3,000 people got saved. Later on, Peter and John exercised one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is the power to heal, and they healed the lame man. Peter says to him, "Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, give uh, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk." And this man was forty years old. He'd never walked a day in his life, and his and ankle bones received strength and he got up and he was walking and leaping and praising the Lord and so they got another crowd and this time 5,000 people got saved, hallelujah and the Jewish religious authorities who had just crucified the Lord Jesus Christ maybe only a, a few months earlier, they were not too happy and they hauled them in there, and they said, "You know, we forbid you to preach or teach in this man's name jesus' name anymore you can't do it anymore." and so the church was at a crossroads, right? They could just bow down before the this persecution, or what they did is they went back to the uh church itself. They reported to the church, and what did they do about it? They prayed to the Lord. It says, that this is in uh, Acts chapter 4. And being let go, they went to their own companions, that is the church, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to one accord I'm going to come back to this again. One raised their voice to the Lord with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, why do they say, Lord, you are God? Do you think God forgot that he was God? God didn't forget. But, you, you know, uh, my, one of my former pastors, uh, George Gregg, he said what they were doing is their uh, ears were hearing what their lips confessed. That the Lord was still in control. He is Lord of heaven and earth. How many of you know he's Lord of heaven and earth? Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. He knows he's God, but do you know he's God? And so they were affirming with their lips that God had everything under control. They're saying, Lord, you're still in control. You're still the Lord of heaven and earth. How many of you believe He's Lord of heaven and earth? He has the power. Okay, continuing on there in Acts chapter 4. Now they said, and now Lord... Look on their threats, these threats that these religious authorities are giving us. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders. In other words, God continue to work these miracles, miracles like the healing of the lame man. Continue to work these things that may be done through the name of your holy servant, the Lord Jesus. Peter had said that earlier, you know, when he first got hauled in front of the uh, religious authorities. He said, that we did. why do you look at us, you know, like we had the power to do that? We don't have the power to do it. The power is through the name of Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit working through us. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Almost like an earthquake right there in that upper room or wherever they were. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought they were filled before. But they got filled again. Amen? And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the thing that always struck me about this is they did not pray for the persecution to go away. Oh God, these people are bugging us here. They say we can't preach or teach in your name. Make the, the persecution go away. They didn't pray that, did they? They prayed that God would give them the boldness to speak out in spite of the persecution. If you're going to preach the Word of God, the Word of Jesus Christ, you can expect persecution. There's going to be people out there that don't like it. You're not going to like it when you tell them you can't make it on your own. You don't have any righteousness of your own. You have to put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is based upon His sacrifice on the cross for your sins. Amen. Hallelujah. People don't like that. They think they're good enough. They're not good enough. Nobody is good enough. Amen? And they're going to persecute you if you tell them that they're not good enough. Okay, so they spoke the words with boldness. So they prayed for the boldness to continue to speak the word in spite of that persecution. And they didn't pray that their outward circumstances uh, uh, be changed. Never pray about your circumstances. Pray that God will do His work in your heart because, of, in, you know, through your circumstances. You know, my mentor, the late Dr. Walter R. Martin, had a sermon, one of the most dynamic sermons I've ever heard in my life. It's called The Baptism of Boldness. And he preached it right from this scripture there in Acts chapter 4. Now, I've preached that sermon myself, and I thought I had preached it to you uh, one time before, but I looked through my sermons that I've preached, and I didn't find it. So uh, guess what? I'm going to preach it to you one of the uh, uh, one of these days. The baptism of boldness. Note also that they were again filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit again. You know, some people object, uh, object to this uh, uh, talk of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because they say, well, you're talking about a second blessing. You know, the uh, first blessing is when you receive the Holy Spirit when you're born again. Uh, why are you talking about a second blessing? Walter, again, Walter Martin used to say, no, I'm not talking about a second blessing. I'm talking about a third blessing, and a fourth blessing, and a fifth blessing, and an infinite number of blessings as you walk through life. Because you are a leaky vessel. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, but you have a tendency to leak Him out. And so you have to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says too. Paul says in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, he says, Be not drunk with wine. In other words, don't allow wine to overcome you. Or any other outside influences to overcome you. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled right there is in the present tense. And in the present tense it signifies continuous action. So Paul is saying be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. If you will keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you've got to seek for a fresh infilling every day. Okay? Yes. Okay? Continue to seek. Even after you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, keep on seeking Him to make sure you stay filled with Him. Okay, now the after the aftermath of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is needed for exercise of the holy uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in order to operate in the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit one must first be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, you know uh, I was going back through my sermons and I found out that uh, after I finished preaching the same message on Pentecost of 2021 two years ago I gave this church a Series of messages, you no, know, going through the nine gifts of the Spirit, explaining to you what they were, and these are found in Act. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter twelve, chapters twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. I spent six weeks going through that. You know what? I think I'm going to talk about specifically the gift of tongues. Uh, in sometime in the near future to give you a, a refresher about it. But the uh, those chapters there, uh, chapters uh, 12, 13, and 14, they're delineated in chapter uh, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same uh, Spirit, to another... Faith by the same uh, uh, Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of those tongues. So those are your nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's other uh, lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit elsewhere in uh, uh, Paul's epistles. But this is the main one that's used to delineate it. And these spiritual gifts are important. You know, right at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Mm. In other words, spiritual gifts are important. Mm. And and an important gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. Before I start talking about to what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 14, let me just say this, that the tongues are the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. This is st- standard Assemblies of God doctrine, which we are a part of. Okay? Okay. Uh, Now, I personally don't believe in limiting God. God can do it any way He wants. But I will tell you this. The way that I read in the book of Acts, the biblical pattern of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that those who were being baptized spoke in tongues. And there's four occasions in the book of Acts where we read about people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first, of course, was there in uh, Acts chapter 2, specifically uh, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay? The the Assemblies of God is very specific about that terminology. Began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Another occasion was... uh, In Acts chapter 10, you have the story of Cornelius and his household. Cornelius was a Gentile. In fact, he was a uh, Roman centurion. He's an officer in the Roman army. He was over a hundred men. But he nevertheless feared the God of Israel. And was continually giving them alms and offerings. And what, he was praying to this God of Israel one day, and suddenly an angel appeared before him and told him to go uh, send for Peter, who would uh, get, tell them the true gospel, that he needed to be saved. And God was at the same time dealing with Peter, because Peter was a Jew, you know, typical uh, Jewish person at that time in that he, he was forbidden to even go to the home of a Gentile. But because God had dealt with him, he wound up, you know, when Cornelius sent these men over to fetch uh, Peter, God told him, you know, there's, there's these men that are coming for you, uh, you know, just go with them, don't, you know, don't ask any questions, I'm, you know, behind this whole thing. And so Peter and some of his Jewish companions got there, to the home of Cornelius and his household. And he began to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And as they heard the word, God bore witness with them that this was the truth. And to show Peter and his companions that the Gentiles had received that, God poured out His Spirit upon Cornelius and his household. And they began to speak in other tongues. Okay, verse 2. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word, that's Cornelius and his household, and Peter and his companions heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So they began, and, and later on, Peter used this as a justification. You know, he, they called him on the carpet. The church there in Jerusalem called him on the carpet. He said, you went over there and, uh, you know... Uh, to a Gentile's house and broke bread with him and then Peter explained to them you know I preached the gospel to them and God gave them the same experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit they spoke in tongues and magnified God just like what happened to us way back there in Acts chapter 2 so the, holy, the evidence that the Holy Spirit had been given was that they spoke in tongues and magnified God Another occasion, in Acts chapter 19, verse 6, Paul encounters these disciples, certain disciples, he finds out that, uh, you know, they've been baptized with John's baptism, but they didn't know anything more about that. Paul says, uh, you know, have you received the Holy Spirit after you first believed? And they said, no, we haven't, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul explained, you know, the uh, word of God more accurately to them, kind of brought them up to speed. Then he laid hands on them. Here, in uh, verse uh, 6 of Acts chapter 19. When Paul had laid hands on them, the, the, these disciples of John, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Again, came upon. Same terminology that we've been talking about. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So once again, the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is they spoke in tongues. And then they also operated in another spiritual gift, the gift of prophecy. And finally, there's also Acts chapter 8, verse 18. This is a story of the Samaritan believers. In the aftermath of the persecution of St. Stephen you know the religious authorities said we're really going to crack down on these guys and it says you know and it, it it's weird right here because god had told them that they were going to be witnesses in jerusalem first then all judea then samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth they hadn't been following those instructions they they still had just gathered together there in jerusalem they were all concentrated And it's like God is saying, hey, I need to get you guys out and obey that great commission that I gave you. And so he created, allowed this persecution to really start in earnest and has scattered the disciples all over the place. And one of them, Philip the Evangelist, went to Samaria. And uh, Philip the Evangelist uh, preaches the word of God to them they believe, they get saved, they get baptized. And then Peter and John find out about that and they go to Samaria and they start laying hands on people and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now one of these believers, I don't really believe he was a true believer, Simon Magi or Simon the Magician, you know, he saw this. He saw that through the laying on of hands that the... Believers got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he wanted this power for himself. So he says, uh, you know, I'm going to give you guys money if you can bestow this gift upon me, so uh, whoever I lay hands on, they'll get baptized in the Holy Spirit himself. In other words, he wanted it as a money-making scheme. And Peter says, to hell with you and your money. That's literally what he said you know it says in the king james your money perished with you but literally he said to hell with you and your money okay but the the whole point i'm trying to make here is simon magus saw that by the laying on of the apostles hands the holy spirit was Given, they were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, what other, what kind of evidence could he have seen other than speaking in tongues? Maybe also the the gift of prophecy, but there was some visible evidence of power being bestowed on them. Okay, let's move along to the prayer tongue. Prayer tongue is very important. So number five. Of the reason why you should want the Holy Spirit baptism is by get receiving it, you receive the prayer tongue. You know, when I preach, I'm going to give you a message next month sometime. And I'm going to go through this chapter, chapter 14 in detail. Because 1 Corinthians 14 is the definitive chapter on the prayer tongue. Some of the things that you have to recognize with 1 Corinthians 14 is that the uh, speaking in tongues in chapter 14, those those are, are different than the tongues that are spoken of in the book of Acts. Number two, the thing, second thing that you have to recognize, it, that even within the uh, uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, there's two different kinds of tongues that are spoken of there. Number one is the tongues that are meant to be manifested in the church. And number two is the prayer tongue. The prayer tongue that you, once you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you should be using every day in the privacy of your prayer closet. Okay, Acts chapter uh, 14, verse 2. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Two things that we gather from this is it says nobody understands him. Not even the speaker understands what he's saying. In fact, I can't think of a single instance in the Bible where it says that the speaker understood what he was saying. Not even Acts chapter 2 where they were obviously speaking human languages. It doesn't say that they understood what they were saying. It says that the listeners understood what they were saying, and that that that's a good instance of why the book uh, the uh, uh, tongues that are spoken about in the book of Acts are different than the ones in Corinthians. This says no man understands him. Well, that wasn't true in Acts chapter two. The wow. p- listeners understood him, right? Okay, so obviously you've got a difference right there. Okay. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Okay? So that's the the difference right there. He speaks mysteries. Verse 4 of Acts chapter, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That's why you need the prayer tongue in your own private prayer closet. Because you edify yourself. You build yourself up. Think of it uh, the, the, as uh, the, the prayer tongue being God's uh, battery charger that you use to charge up your spiritual batteries. This is a good way to get yourself filled again with the Holy Spirit is to exercise yes. that prayer tongue in your prayer closet. Okay? Verse 13 Wherefore therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Again we see the speaker doesn't understand it. Why does he need to pray for the interpretation if he understands himself? He says he should say, well I know exactly what I said and then then he's then speaking but you got to pray for the interpretation. That's another thing too, you know. I'll get into this in more detail, maybe in a couple of weeks from now. You know, it says interpret it; it doesn't say translate it, and there's a difference there. Okay. Okay, we're almost finished here, and then we're going to have a time of uh, prayer for those that uh, have not been re- uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse fourteen. For if, or the Greek word there for if can also be translated as when, when I pray in a tongue. So there is such a thing as the prayer tongue. Right? You can't miss that. Okay? Now, you know, uh, uh, J. Vernon McGee, you know, I've got a set of his commentaries which I have often used. You know, a lot of times the things that I share from you from this pulpit, come out of, you know, little things that J. Vernon and McGee, he's, he was a great man of God, but he was not a charismatic. He didn't believe in the speaking in tongues. That's okay, you know. Doesn't make us better than him just because he doesn't believe. But, you know, when, uh, when I did deliver that uh, series of messages two years ago to you, of course, I consulted J. Vernon in the beginning. I was just curious to know what he had to say about it because he's a non-charismatic. And, you know, he came in his commentary to verse 14. You know what he said about it? Yes. He said nothing. He just completely skipped over that verse. And I gathered from that, J. Vernon McGee was not going to touch 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. He wasn't going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. He wanted nothing to do with it. But it plainly tells you, pray in a tongue. There is such a thing as the prayer tongue. Okay? Paul continues on. My spirit prays, but my understanding, uh, literally it, it's my mind or my intellect, is unfruitful. Once again, the, the speaker doesn't understand. I, you know, I, My spirit prays, but my understanding, my mind, my intellect, it's unfruitful. I don't know what I'm saying. Amen? What is the conclusion then? Verse 15 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 14. I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding, with the mind, with the intellect. Okay? And literally the grammatical in, uh, construction right here is what they call, it's in the dative case, and, and it's a uh, uh, construction known as dative of means. Okay? What is dative of means? Well, In other words, you translate it by means of. I will pray by means of my spirit. And I will also pray by means of my mind. In illustration of this, I was thinking about this. We're, we're celebrating Memorial Day. We enjoy our freedom by means of the blood of the people that paid the price for it. Yes. Amen. We enjoy freedom by means of the blood of those that were killed or wounded in fighting for it. Okay? I just mounted up my uh, uh, American flag there at the parsonage, and I did it by, you know, using the pneumatic drill. So I mounted my flag by means of the pneumatic drill. You see? You see how it works? Okay, so you, Paul says, if I, when I pray in the tongue, I, my spirit is praying. So when you pray in the tongue, you are praying by means of your spirit. I will, you know, I will pray by means of the spirit. I will pray by means of the understanding, also. In other words, I'm going to pray in English, also, with my understanding. Those of you that are uh, know Navajo, you pray in Navajo. You pray—that's how you pray by means of your understanding, also. Okay. Now, Paul continues on down here. I'm trying to wrap up quickly now. Uh, he says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, I didn't have quite enough room to put verse, this verse 18 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 14. I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five tongues with my understanding that by, me, by my voice, I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. This is Paul's a major point that Paul is bringing forth in 1 Corinthians 14. And that is, if you are going to speak in tongues in the church, it must be interpreted. That is, you give a message in tongues. The message in tongues must be interpreted. Okay? This is so that the church might be edified. And I've listed a bunch of, uh, uh, yeah, I included those verses down there. We'll go through this in more detail. I don't want to take too much more time with it. Uh, We'll go into it in detail in maybe a couple of weeks. Now the exception to this of uh, uh, tongues being spoken of in church is when we are all praying together in unison going back there to Acts chapter 4 verse 24 you know they all lifted their voice up with one accord in unison and there's no doubt in my mind because I've been through this many times in church services. They were praying in their native tongue which was Aramaic at the time but they were I there's no doubt in my mind they were also praying in tongues too okay and that's what we're going to do in just a couple of minutes here. We're going to be praying, and I am going to stand up here, I'll be praying in my prayer tongue. And I want people to gather around me, other people that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want you to lay hands on these dear ones too that come forward to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, like I was sharing with Lane and Marlena, the prayer tongue works. And I shared with this if I think I share this story with you every Pentecost Sunday. You know, I was a missionary. The first extended missionary trip I took to uh, uh, Thailand, I was encountering a lot of difficulty. You know, the spiritual forces of darkness over there in Thailand are very, very strong. And I was having a lot of spiritual difficulty. I was, you know, my prayer life was, uh, you know, I just couldn't seem to break through. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit moved upon me and said, why not, you know, use your prayer tongue? And I was kind of skeptical at first, and I said, well, I don't know, Lord, you know, and I just felt led. And I said, okay, I'm going to pray in my prayer tongue for 15 minutes. And when you have that prayer tongue, you can pray at any time. You pray it at will. That's another thing that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 14. He said the spirit of the prophets, the spirit of the ones that are also speaking in tongues, you know, you remain in full control of your faculties. And you can pray in that prayer tongue. Anytime you feel led by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit led me and said, I said, okay, I'm going to put it to the test. I'm going to find out if this thing is really real. And I'm going to pray in tongues for 15 minutes. And I'm going to do this every day. So that very first day, you know, I started praying in tongues and, I'm looking at my watch, you know, when's the 15 minutes going to be over with? And I looked at my watch a half a dozen times. The next day, I, I, I still did that, but I, I did it less. And, you know, by about the fourth day, I discovered that I was not looking at my watch anymore. And, you know, I began to extend that beyond the 15 minutes. You know you, you can in your prayer tongue you can pray for literally hours if you want if you've got the, the time and I highly recommend it too. you know and you know I was extending it it was not just 50 minutes, it was 20, it was 25 minutes and even beyond that. and I wasn't just praying in tongues anymore. I was praying in English too, Amen. with a lot of power. power because that prayer tongue loosened up my tongue. And I began to pray with that power. I edified myself. I built myself up spiritually. So the prayer tongue works, brothers and sisters. This is why I push it on you so much. I want to see you grow and mature in the faith. And the prayer tongue is a uh, good way to do it. Okay, so. um, In conclusion little recap of what we've uh, uh, been covering here. You should want the Holy Spirit because you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because Jesus wants you to have it. Don't tell me God doesn't want you to have it. He does want you to have it. Number two, the early disciples wanted it to the point of praying and fasting for a number of days, 10 days to get it. Number three, we need it to in order to be the most effective ministers of the gospel we can be and it will allow us to speak with boldness to others. Again, loosens up your tongue, that prayer tongue loosens up your tongue. number four, you need to need it before you can operate in the nine gifts of the spirit as recounted in First Corinthians chapter 12. Number five, it is necessary to obtain the prayer tongue, which will allow us to pray much more effectively. Because we bypass our intellect and we speak directly to God. He that speaks in the tongue speaks not to men, but to God. We speak directly to God as He moves us. And once you get it, you should be using your prayer tongue every day. See, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I did. they didn't tell me that. I didn't discover that until uh, months later. You should use your prayer t- tongue every day. And again, trust me on this, brothers and sisters. The prayer tongue works. And this is the w- reason why the devil has tried so hard to suppress this message, and even used well-meaning Christians to try to tell you that it's not valid for today. Now, we're finished here. Uh, go ahead and uh, uh, get ready to load that uh, thing up uh, there, uh, Susie. Uh, I just want to say the way that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit is my pastor at the time, George Gregg, at Faith Chapel in La Mesa, the largest Assemblies of God church in the San Diego area. You know, I've told you about it before. He got up and preached a message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he called everybody that wanted to receive it to come forward. Well, naturally, I came forward. I wanted it. And uh, there's uh, an older man. I guess he was in his 40s or 50s. Uh, He came forward and he laid his hands on me and I want people that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit already to come up here and join in with us and lay hands on people that have not received it. You know we need all the people we can get the more impartation of spiritual power we can get that's what we need and this man. Laid his hands on me, and he's standing there. And he's praying in his, uh, uh, tongues and everything, and uh, I just stood there for maybe uh, a couple of minutes or something like that. And uh, uh, put put that on pause uh, if you would, uh, uh, Susie. We're, we're not quite ready for it. Yeah, just pause it. Uh, anyway, yeah, Susie. If you would no, no just just pause it down here. Pa- pause it. okay, you got it uh, okay yeah we we'll, uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. I, let me finish what I'm uh, saying here. Uh, so anyway, I just stood there kind of not saying anything for a couple of minutes and then I just you know I didn't feel anything, but I just let started letting my my lips move, you know. And at first, I was just kind of you know and I was trying to imitate the guy that was uh, praying in his tongue right next to me, and I was cu- trying to imitate him and at first, you know I just uh, moved my lips and then then I kind of had a, a little whisper. And then as time went on, you know, this went on for about 10 or 15 minutes, like we're going to do it for about 10 or 15 minutes. My voice kept on getting louder and louder and louder. And at the end, you know, my I was speaking as loud as he was. Now, that's how I received it. That's not necessarily how you will receive it. Right. Because I've read enough testimonies of people receiving this Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's infinite the number of ways that uh, it can happen. Because God is in control. Amen. You cannot limit God. Everybody say that. You cannot limit God. God. God will do it in the way that he chooses. This is what worked with me. It may not be what works with you. But it worked for me. And you know. I know that my you know, even though I uh, kind of, everybody says, well, I'm trying to force it. Well, you know, maybe while you're forcing it, that's the way that God is working. Don't worry about it, you know. (laughs) I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that day. And even though I didn't exercise that prayer tongue very much for the next few months, you know, once I started using it, it, you know, it, it was definite. It was real. You know, there's no doubt that it was real. Okay, I'm done. So, let's